0: Acts chapter number 4 this evening. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 5. Would you read with me? The Word of God says, "...and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked," notice this, "...by what power..." Or by what name have ye done this? Speaking of the healing of the uh, man outside of the temple gate. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let's read that once more. Neither is there salvation in any up. for if there's ever a day when we need that emblazoned upon uh, every single house of quote-unquote politics in this world that we live in, it's today. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just ask you tonight, Lord, that you would help us to give you liberty to work through the power of the Holy Ghost, and to move on hearts. Lord, I pray tonight that each heart would be touched in that way that is most needful and that would bring the most glory to Your Son, Jesus Christ. You know what each heart needs, so we're trusting this work to You. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to preach to you for just a few moments tonight on the name of Jesus. Can I say to you that a name is a very significant thing? There's more that goes into a name than just the letters uh, that are comprised. You see, when you think of a name, you almost always, if you know the person, you think of a history. There's certain names that I could tell you, names that I could throw out, and there'd be an opinion that you'd have right off the bat. Let's try this real quick. Let me just throw out the name Ronald Reagan. And some of you, right then, you remembered a time in your life when he was the president You remember at a time in your life when things seemed halfway sane? Let me throw out another name, Jimmy Carter. Amen? You see, there's a history attached to a name. There's some truths attached to a name. Can I say that not only is there history that's applied to it, but can I say that there is a power that is attached to a name? There are certain names that I could tell you that wouldn't mean a lot. If I was to go up to one of the Capitol buildings, I was to go up to a place uh, where they do politics, and I was to come in, and they were to say, who are you? And I was to say, I'm Toby Weber. You know? They'd say, well, who's Toby Weber? And I'd say, well, that's exactly right. (laughs) But now there are certain men that could go in and drop a name, and that name would get them access to places. There are certain men that could go into a place, and they could drop a name, and that name would gain them favor. There are certain places where you could go in and you could say a particular name. You've heard it before. Anytime that you uh, listen to any radio, and I don't know if you do, but if you ever listen to radio, all these guys, and you know their their entire life and passion is to try to turn our country around uh, and also to sell a lot of things, amen? Because they've always got 900 commercials of how they're sponsored by such and such company, and they'll say, use my name when you go to check out. Could I say that there is a name? which is above every other name, that the believer has access to tonight, that has power and that has capability. Now, I don't want to try to uh, shroud this doctrine and this teaching in mysticism. The name of Jesus is not like abracadabra or open sesame. The name of Jesus is not something that is to be thrown around lightly. But understand that when we speak of the name Jesus, we're speaking of the one that is the immaculate, sinless Son of God, triumphant over death and of sin and coming and returning soon again. There's a lot attached to His name. Amen? The Word of God gives great warning to those that take the name of God in vain. Now, we think that always means cussing. Let me say, I believe God's against cussing, amen? But let me say that there is a depth to that that we rarely recognize. To take a person's name in vain, for instance, uh, when me and my wife got married, she took my last name, because I still believe in that, amen? And uh, she took my last name. And uh, what a sham it would have been if we had got married and she had took my last name, then she had went home to mom and daddy's house. We'd never seen each other again. We didn't have any kind of relationship. We never talked to each other. You're not supposed to do that until way later on in marriage. Amen? She would be taking my name in vain, you understand. So the name of Jesus is a precious and powerful thing. And it's an important thing. And I want to show you a few qualities about the name of Jesus tonight that I hope will encourage you and help you. Let me say first off that the name of Jesus is a saving name. Acts chapter 4 makes it clear that there is none other name. Now, if there's ever a day Christians need to stand upon that truth, it's it's today. You understand that they don't have a problem with you talking about Jesus. But when you start saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, you've said something they can't agree with. There's no problem with incorporation. And, you know, I think about a lot of these countries where paganism is so prevalent. A lot of the uh, the importance of having a good missionary in a country where paganism is so prevalent is there is a danger in convincing those uh, heathen peoples to adopt Jesus into the pantheon of their gods, but never to cast away their idols and depend fully upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll hear sometimes, folks, uh, you know, you get the letters in the mail just like I get the letters in the mail, and you'll hear updates from ministries, and they'll say, well, you know, we went to Africa and we saw three, four hundred saved. You got to be careful with that. Now, I'm not saying that that God's not able. God's able. And uh, I rejoice with every one of them that gets saved. Only God knows who's truly getting born again and not in those circumstances. But there's a danger that a missionary comes in, presents the name of Jesus to them, and they say, okay, I'll believe on Jesus Christ. Now here that means one thing, and there that means something different. And what they do is they take the name of Jesus, and they put it in their pantheon of gods. And much like those uh, that were upon Mars Hill, they just set up another altar to His name. But they've not forsaken all others. They have not. I depended solely and only upon. But man, this isn't even what I was going to preach on. But do you know that that problem is just as prevalent in the life of Western Christianity? Now we may not have the idols and altars set up, but we've got them set up in here. And there's a lot of us that Jesus is having to having to to, uh, having to compete against things in our lives. Things, anything that takes place of Jesus in your life is an idol. I'd say not just anything that takes place of Jesus, but anything that takes enough attention away from Him is an idol in your life. There's a lot of things that we may not love more than Him, but we love them so much that we can't love Him like we ought to love Him. You see, a lot of times they would adopt these uh, the name of Jesus into their, their pantheon. And there's a real danger of that in this day that we live in. And that's what the political realm desires to have you do. They don't have a problem if you talk about Jesus, as long as you don't say He's the only way. They don't have a problem. Listen, and this is how they look at it. You believe in Jesus if you want to, but don't tell the Mohammedan, don't tell the Muslim that he's got to believe in Jesus too. Do you understand that folks are dying and going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus Christ? Now, if we're Bible believers, we believe that tonight. There is no room for compromise. There is no room for backing up. If we believe the Bible tonight, then we believe that if a man rejects the person of Jesus Christ, then he rejects his only hope and he dies and goes to hell. Let me tell you something. The devil's side quit playing games a long time ago, and Christians are having a tough time realizing that they need to quit playing games too. This isn't a time for political correctness. This isn't a time for politeness. We need to understand that every inch that we give up, every time that our our voice is silenced every time that we bow our heads in shame and acquiescence, that there are souls on the line that are in need of Jesus Christ, that will not hear our voice, that will not see our light shine. I'm telling you, the name of Jesus is a saving name, and we need to share it with folks. A lot of things that can't help you that you'll talk to folks about. <laughs> That's just true. Talk to folks about UT football. That don't help anybody right now, Amen. <laughs> You'll talk to folks about politics. That don't do nothing to make folks mad anyway. Not mad because you're on the other side, and mad because the whole thing's just enraging. And we'll sit around, we'll talk to folks about that. We'll talk to folks about all kinds of nonsense. But do you know that you can get folks to come through those doors? You can get folks to go through that baptismal water. You can get folks to agree to have their name put on a church roll. And that will not change their life. They have to have a head-on collision with Calvary, and they have to call upon that name which is above Amen. every name. Amen. There's none other name. That's the only name. It's not the name Allah. It's not the name Muhammad. It's not the name Joseph Smith. It's not the name Confucius. It's not the name Buddha. There's only one name. It's not the name Pope John Paul Francis Gregory the Eighteenth either. There's only one name. Amen. And that's the name of Jesus. It's a saving name. But I would notice a second thing. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. We're going to turn to a few places tonight. And I played fair tonight. I didn't mark the places in my Bible. So it's going to take me as long to get there as it takes you. Probably longer. Preachers don't know their Bible. Amen. Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, I want you to see this. Look at verse number 9. The Word of God says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name, given him a name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, the angel said, for he shall save his people from their sins. It doesn't doesn't say he was created. If you look in this passage, he already existed. Who being in the form of God, verse number 6, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. By the way, that's before Bethlehem when it's talking about that. That's before Bethlehem, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, Can I say that there is no pecking order and there is no ranking system to the Trinity. The Holy Ghost is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son is just as much God as either of them. And before He was ever incarnated, He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore. That word wherefore is important. That word wherefore shows us that the previous statements are the foundational truths upon which the next statement is about to be made. Wherefore, because of all this, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, notice this, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe it's a saving name, but I believe it's a sovereign name. I believe it's a sovereign name. There can be an authority vested in a name. Don't you think so? It's funny what happens when a man is elected president. Now, no matter what you think about him, there's no question that there is a sovereignty that comes along with his office. And at one moment, he's a politician or a community organizer or agitator, whatever he was. And then, in the next moment, he becomes the president. And that name has an authority that is invested within it. Can I say that the name of Jesus Christ, because of what he did upon Calvary, hey, before he ever went to Calvary, let me just back it up. I, I, you ain't going to hear me correct much very often, but let me just back up and correct that. Before he ever went to Calvary, before the world was ever created, the name of Jesus was a sovereign name. He has authority. It's not whether we give Him authority. Authority is not given. Authority is taken. Uh, Respect may be given, but authority is taken. Your belief about the authority of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with His authority. He has authority whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. But can I say that there is coming a day when kingdoms and thrones will crumble, but the name of Jesus will still be there. There's coming a day when the greatest kingdom outside of his kingdom and that greatest kingdom is still yet to come. You know that? That's the kingdom of the Antichrist. It'll be a kingdom unlike any kingdom that has ever existed. It will be a universal king. Never before has there been world domination in that way. Uh, there were times when societies were more remote. There were times when folks conquered the known world. But now the whole world is the known world. And the the kingdom of the Antichrist will be a one-world, singular, one-world government. But could I say that when he comes, oh, when he comes. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, And behold, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse and him that sat on it. You know what it says about him? It says a sharp two-edged sword proceeds out of his mouth, his vesture was dipped in blood, and it had a name written on his thigh. King of kings, Lord of lords. Do you understand that like it or not, this entire world will one day bow before the name of Jesus Christ. It is a sovereign name. That sovereignty is not up for dispute or debate. It is a fact and reality. Now we may live in a day when the name of Jesus is blasphemed, and it is blasphemed. It's blasphemed through those that would dare speak it in disrespect and irreverence. And it's blasphemed in those that would claim to serve under its banner, but do not live for the the person to whom that name belongs. It's blasphemed all across the world. The name of Jesus is. It's blasphemed in the bars and it's blasphemed in the churches. The name of Jesus is a blaspheme, but there's coming a name when that name will no longer be blasphemed. The Bible teaches us that after he has destroyed the kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, what do you believe about that, preacher? Well, it's real simple. I believe that the Antichrist's kingdom is a literal kingdom. I believe Jesus Christ is coming literally back on a literal white horse with a literal vesture literally dipped in blood, a literal name written on his literal thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I believe he'll set his foot upon the Mount of Olives and cleave right in two. I believe he'll destroy the armies of the Antichrist with the glory and brightness and power of his coming. And I believe that he'll set up a literal throne in the literal city of Jerusalem, and it will be his literal kingdom. And that sovereign name will have the respect that it deserves. I see that it is a sovereign name. Let me give you a third thought. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 18. John, chapter number 18. I prayed and thought on this point. God gave me the rest of this message in a moment this morning while the choir was singing. But this point I thought upon. And there's so much to be said, I won't say it all. But I believe there's a truth here that we need to gather. John chapter number 18. Verse number 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which He entered, and His disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. I'd say the name of Jesus is a scattering name. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, every which way I turned to this point and thought about it, I found it to be true. That in every capacity. Do you know that the notion that the name of Jesus is meant to gather us all together around an ecumenical bonfire to sing Kumbaya is a lie straight out of hell. Christ said, I'm come to send a sword upon the earth. He said, I'm going to split up families. I'm going to turn mothers against daughters and fathers against sons. I'm coming and I'm going to scatter people based upon the controversy of my name. You'll never find in the Word of God everybody coming together. Now, I'm not saying we ought to fuss and fight and feud and be silly, but I'm merely saying that you won't find, you'll never find uh, the the idea of the church as a collective, geographically located entity. The only time that the church is all going to be together is when they're in heaven and they're not the church anymore. The truth of the matter is, uh, you never find this ecumenical mindset. Now, again, I'm not saying we ought to fuss and feud and fight. Let me say that a lot of times, you know what preachers are guilty of? Now, I'm just being honest with you now. Preachers are guilty of being too chicken coward to stand against the men they ought to stand against, and so they pick silly fights with men that they ought to have fellowship with. That's just the truth of it. I'm not saying we ought to fight and fuss over a bunch of silliness, but this notion that the name of Jesus is going to bring every one of us together, that's not in the Bible. That's nowhere found in the Bible. You'll find that the name of Jesus scatters through its controversy. Can I say that not only does it scatter through its controversy, but it scatters those that are contrary to the Word of God. Notice when they came that night in the garden. Whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Now, let me say this. I believe that you, you've either got to believe them metallicized words or not believe them. Am I right? Because if you study your Bible, it does make a difference. I I believe those italicized words are there on purpose. I believe I don't believe it's an advanced revelation. I believe that if we have the capacity and capability uh, to understand the Greek or the, or the Hebrew, I believe we'd see that those uh, italicized words belong right just exactly where they're at. And let me say, I don't need the Hebrew or Greek to validate that. It's just if I believe that God preserved the King James Bible, I believe He preserved it, whether the letters are straight up and down or a little squiggly. Amen? I believe that. So I'm not trying to dismiss or change what the Bible says, but I don't think it can be lost on any of us that when he says, I am he, those first two state those first two words have great significance in the scriptures. For it presents to us his name the, the name of his eternal nature. You remember all through the word of God, all through the gospels you'll find what they call the I ams of Christ. I am the bread of heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am all through the Gospels. And I believe that it was the great I am Revealing Himself as that. You say, why, preacher, do you believe it was so important? You have to understand, these men are coming to take captive the Son of God and to lead Him away to crucify. Could it be that when He said, I am, He was letting them understand that I am the the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. I am the one that loosed the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage. I am the one. You can't take me unless I'm willing for you to take me, because I am that I am. I I, I am before you was, Amen. That's good English. I am before you was. I am right now no matter what you are. And I am in the future and I always will be. And so the power of the name of Jesus had the capability to scatter. Let me say that the power of the of the name of Jesus is still powerful. It's still powerful. We'd be amazed the things that God do for us if we would run to his name like it's a high tower, like the psalmist told us to when we run into trouble and when we're persecuted. Part of the problem is we get persecuted and we want to handle it in our name. We want to handle it our way. We want to stand up and beat our chest and shake our fist, say, I'll take care of them. But the truth of the matter is you can't take care of them. But you'd be amazed what your Jesus can do. And if you just run to his name like a high tower, you'd be amazed what he could do. But can I say that in the spiritual or in the demonic world that the name of Jesus has the power to scatter? You'll find it all through the New Testament. In fact, I couldn't, I couldn't pick even just, just one example of it because there are so many of them in which a devil is cast out of a person through the power of the name of Jesus. Let me give you just one. You remember when the sorcerer had been following Paul? You remember that that sorcerer uh, had had a woman that was a diviner... And uh, that woman had been following Paul, and uh, she had uh, con- consistently be saying, these be the servants of the Most High God. Now, I've had folks ask me, preacher, what's wrong with that? Why would they have a problem with that? Can I say that there's some folks that's just so crazy, you don't want their endorsement? Amen? <laughs> there, there's some folks so crazy, you don't want them saying, I support them. Uh, they're running into that with the President right now. All these uh, Democratic uh, congressmen and congresswomen are just a begging the President to stay off the campaign trail. You know why? They don't want... Their their name hitched to his name, because they know that folks is about to cast their ballots. Amen? There's some endorsements you don't want. And so Paul turned around and said, I beseech thee, I adjure thee by the name of Jesus Christ, come out! And that devil had to. Had to. You remember what happened? You remember what happened in Mark chapter number 5 to the maniac of Gadara? You remember what the demon said or the devil said to Jesus when Jesus showed up? I adjure thee. I adjure thee. You know what he was saying? He was saying, do us no harm, please, I beg you. That demon knew that he was at the beckon and at the mercy of the name of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what the uh, Spirit said there in the book of Acts when the seven vagabond sons of Siva, the vagabond Jews, came? And they came and they thought, and they thought they'd do a parlor trick. That's a lot of the, that's a lot of the problem with churches today. We've got too many preachers, uh, doing parlor tricks instead of preaching. Amen. And they, they, uh, showed up and, uh, they uh, said, uh, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preacheth, come out of thee. And you know what that old devil said? That devil said, Paul I know. And Jesus I know. But who are you? That ought to tell you something. You see, they understood how to link authority with the name. Uh, you know what the Bible says in the book of James? that the, the, the devils also believe and tremble. Let me say the name of Jesus has power to scatter. I believe we live in a day of intense and extreme demonic oppression. You don't have to believe that, but I sure believe it. I believe we live in a day where our churches oftentimes have demonic oppression taking place. Oh, preacher, that's nonsense. You know it's close to Halloween. You're trying to spook us. (laughs) No, you open your Bible sometime. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual realm. You don't believe me? Go back through the Old Testament. You'll find times when God opened the eyes of His servants so they could see the spiritual battle taking place around them. We are just naive or willfully disillusioned when we believe that there is not a spiritual battle that is taking place around us. The Bible tells us that, <laughs> I like this. The Bible tells us in the book of Jude, I quit preaching my message a long time ago, <laughs> tells us in the book of Jude that when Mark, Michael the Archangel durst dispute with Satan concerning the body of Moses, the Bible says he doesn't bring him against him railing accusations, but saith, the Lord rebuke thee. He invokes the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when he is combating Satan. I believe, listen, I don't ever believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. I don't ever believe that. The Mormons may believe that, but I don't believe that. You see, I believe that Satan has always had to bow his knee to the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that the I believe that Jesus is is the create not a created being the creator. And as such, I believe that Jesus spoke him into existence like he spoke everything into existence and if it was was within the perfect will of God to speak him out of existence, Jesus could speak him out of existence and don't you think for one moment that Satan doesn't know it? And we need to get to the place where we see I'm telling you, man, we we have to get our mind on this spiritual battle taking place. That's part of the reason we're losing our kids and we're losing young people. There's so much demonic activity and demonic oppression in the world that we live in. And we have bought uh, hook, line, and sinker and bought uh, this this bill of sale from the world that we're being paranoid and we're being foolish and we're just uh, talking nonsense. I'm telling you, Satan has a desire to appear as an angel of light. He does not want us to understand the plans that he has for young people in this day that we live in. Never have there been a time when so many are taking their own lives, when so many are fleeing for the shelter of narcotics, when so many are crawling up into a bottle, when so many are getting into bed at younger and younger ages. I'm telling you, there is demonic activity and oppression in the world that we live in, and the only answer is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's able. He's able. I don't mean just walking around and peppering it in our conversation either. I don't mean trying to stand over like some kind of uh, foolish, nonsensical Catholic exorcist and sprinkle someone with Windex and, and, and wave some beads over their head either. I'm saying we need to get to the place where we teach our children that there's none other name, that Jesus Christ's name is the only name, that they need to live for that name, that they need to magnify that name, that they need to lift up that name, that they need to propagate that name in this day that we live in. I see that it's a scattering name. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter number 3. We're going to read a little bit earlier on in the story that we read when we opened the service. But notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter number 3. Now, this man had been lame from his mother's womb and had been laying outside of the gate for many years. And Peter and John came by and he asked alms of them. They said, you know it. They said in verse number six, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Let me tell you something, at a lot of churches, they would have sat him down. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we hath made this man to wall? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses." And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I, th- I see that the name of Jesus is a strengthening name. The name of Jesus, faith, this name, and through faith in this name, hath this man been made strong. We live. We operate in an anemic Christianity today, Amen. devoid of the power of God by and large. Sometimes we feel like a rag doll that the world, the flesh, and the devil just kick around. How do we gain strength for the journey? How do we gain strength in the midst of our weakness? Do you know, have you, do you understand that there is an assault that takes place upon the mind? That produces a weak spirit. Let me say that again. I want you to grasp it. There is an assault that takes place upon the mind that produces in us a weak spirit. Satan seeks to assault our minds, to persecute, to plant seeds of despair, doubt, disbelief, and paranoia. And we have a choice in how we approach that assault. Can I say that only through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can we gain strength for the battle that is ahead of us? You say, now, wait a minute, preacher. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stand there, say the name of Jesus, spin around three times, sit down, get back up, say it again, do it all over again? No. No, remember that the name of Jesus has a history attached to it. You see, He's the one that when you were at your ultimate point of weakness, went to the cross of Calvary, He became your weakness. Do you gather that? Do you remember what the psalmist said in one of the prophetic psalms concerning Christ? It says, He weakened my strength. Do you know that upon the cross of Calvary, He didn't just become your sin, He became your proneness to sin. He became your weakness on the the place of Calvary. The Bible speaks of uh, the death of Christ as the pattern for our resurrection. You know what the Bible says about our resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? That it's sown in weakness and it's raised in power. Only through the crucified life and only through a conscious dependence, a con- not a providential dependence, a conscious dependence upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can we gain strength. Our strength is not found through the determination of our own will. Our strength, listen to me now. Our strength is not found, I'm trying to be careful with how I say this. Our strength is not found solely through prayer. Do you remember what Paul said? He says, unless I should be exalted above measure for the visions that I saw. He said that a thorn in the flesh was given unto me. A messenger of Satan, he said, was sent to buffet me. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might be removed from me. Do you remember it? He says, I prayed three times. You say, that don't seem very much. Well, most of us don't pray like Paul did. (laughs) So, for Paul, once was usually enough, it seemed. Paul prays and asks God to take it away. The Lord says, my grace sufficient for thee, Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Notice what Paul did. I will therefore rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's why I say it's not through prayer alone. We've got to learn how to glory in our weakness and our infirmities. That's contrary to us. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm preaching six different messages, and I'm trusting the Lord to make them all collide. You, you you understand. We don't have a tendency, we have a tendency to minimize our weakness and magnify our strength. And even Paul, with a deliberate nature, Paul, who had experienced and known the power of God, had a tendency to magnify his own strength and minimize his weakness. God had to teach him how to do the other way. The Lord put him in a place of weakness where he needed strength and showed him that that strength does not come in and of himself. That strength can only come through the magnifying of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Only through our weakness can his strength be magnified. Only through our weakness... Can His name be glorified? The way that we gain strength is not through our own will and through our own determination, but it's through surrendering to the will of God and to the leading of the Holy Ghost, crucifying self and allowing Christ to live through us. In other words, if you want your strength, you'll never have strength. You've got to learn to take your weakness and look for His strength. I see it's a strengthening name. Let me give you one more and I'm done. I'll hush. Turn with me to John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16. One more truth about the name of Jesus. We would never exhaust this if we wanted to preach it to its depth. We could go through all of eternity and we'd never say. You know what the Bible says about the name of the Lord? The Bible says of the name of the Lord, Thou hast exalted, thy, or it says, Thy name is exalted above all blessing and praise what it says in the book of Nahum. Thy name is exalted above all praise. We could spend all through eternity preaching on the name of Jesus and we'd never get it all preached. You can praise. Some folks say, well, I just feel like I have praised him enough. You've never praised him enough. There ain't a one of them or one of us has praised him enough. Because His name is exalted above all blessing and praise. As much as you praise Him, as loud as you praise Him, as often as you praise Him, you'll never exhaust the worthiness of His name. So let's look at one more. John chapter number 16. I got to preaching and didn't even turn there. Look at that. that if, I, if I had gone to Bible college, they would have kicked me out for that, I guess. Look at verse number 23. Christ said, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. I see that the name of Jesus is a supplying name. What do you have need of tonight? Do you have need of peace? You'll find it in the name of Jesus. Do you have need of provision? Let me say that I'm not too spiritual to pray over my bills. I'm not too spiritual to pray over my bills. Now, I'm not saying that ought to be the meat and potatoes of my prayer life. But I'm not too spiritual to pray over my bills. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, all these things shall be added unto you. And yet in the same breath, you know what Christ said? He said, ask and ye shall receive. Looks to me like prayer is the means of God's provision, so that we ought to pray for the things that we need. Maybe it's provision you need. Can I say you'll find it in the name of Jesus? You say, why is that? Well, you see, sometimes, sometimes there's a treasury that's attached to a name. You know that a lot of times you, you'll see it. You'll uh, you'll you'll turn. I don't know if you ever watch PBS. If you don't, don't start. <laughs> it's a waste of time. But. But if you ever watch PBS, they'll, they'll have a program and at the end they'll say, you know, it, it, this, this came from the John H. Daniel, Carryview, Blackstone, Wilmington Foundation and Trust. And you know what that means. That means some old fella died 800 years ago and uh, left a trust and said, I want this to go to those that need it. And uh, somebody come along, hired a good enough lawyer to get hold of that money. But that trust is in his name you see when he died he laid up that when he died he laid up that which he had earned so that those that would come in his name could access the benefits of his goodness do you know you know the bible speaks of the inheritance of the saints in light the Bible says the inheritance of the saints in life. In the book of Ephesians, the inheritance of the saints. The Bible says that, that, that God hath given us a, a an inheritance that's incorruptible and that fadeth not away. You know that you don't ever get an inheritance without a death. That's when the inheritance comes. And upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, who had lived a perfect and sinless life in perfect and pure accord and communion with God the Father. Have, have you ever thought about this? It wasn't until the cross of Calvary... It wasn't until the cross of Calvary that Christ ever addressed the Father as anything but the Father. He always addressed Him as the Father. Do you understand that that the Bible teaches that the will... He said, I, I do always the things that please my Father. Do you understand that His relationship with His Father, and it still is today, but you understand it was spotless when He delivered it up upon Calvary. Why did he say? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only time he ever addressed his father as anything but father. Because in that moment, in some mystery of the grace of God, and I can't explain it, I'm not going to try, but there was some way in which that relationship was severed so that we might never be severed from him. There was some sense in which the Father became His God so that our God could become our Father. And all of that favor and all of that relationship and all of that standing through the death of Christ has been through justification transferred upon the person of the believer that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what the Bible calls you and I? The Bible calls us joint heirs. Heirs and joint heirs. With Jesus Christ. Amen. Tells me that everything he has access to, I have access to. I don't believe in none of this health and wealth nonsense. If I did, I'd be skinnier and have a nice car. <laughs> Amen. I don't believe in that nonsense. But I believe that he meets our needs. I believe there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground, except God the Father is aware of it. I believe that he's numbered the hairs on our head. Some of us it's easier than others, I know. But He knows, He knows, He knows. And whatever you have need of, He knows your need. He knows your need. The Bible says that your Father in heaven knoweth what you have need of. But He desires that prayer be the means for provision, that we come to Him and that we ask Him. And can I say that when we come in the name of Jesus, we're coming in the name of a person that has a bank account bigger than this world could ever hold? We're coming in the name of someone who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're coming in the name of somebody that can provide. Whatever your need is tonight, I want you here in a moment as we close, I want you to run to the name of Jesus like a high tower. I want you to find a place at this altar. And I want you to call upon Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be saved. If you do, He's got a saving name. If you need to be saved, He can save you tonight. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's got a saving name tonight. Maybe you've been living in rebellion. He's got a sovereign name. He's got a name of authority. Why don't you put Him in His place of authority on the throne room of your heart and in your life? Maybe tonight you need strength. You wouldn't be the only one. Elijah himself laid down and wished to die. And the Lord did what the Lord does a lot of times. Ain't you glad for the prayers the Lord ignores? I mean, he hears them, but aren't you glad for the prayers that the Lord ignores? Elijah said, Lord, kill me! And you know what he did? You ever, you ever had a little baby, and they was mean, just mean, and they'd bite you if they had the teeth to do it. But you knew they was just tired. They was just tired. Their strength was God. And so you let them lay down and sleep and take rest for the journey. And they woke up and had a refreshed and renewed vigor and strength. That happened with Elijah. And you may be here tonight and you may need strength for this journey. Can I say you'll find it in the name of Jesus. Why don't you come down and call upon the name of Jesus and surrender yourself to His authority and ask Him to give you the strength that you need. His strength, not your strength, His strength. Or maybe tonight you have a need. You wouldn't be the only one. I think we need to get over this thing of being too prideful to pray about our needs. We just need to go ahead and ask heaven for it. Because heaven's got it. And if it's the will of God, heaven will give it. And so tonight, whatever your need is, you'll find it answered in the name of Jesus Christ. As we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, the altar's open. I want you to come. I don't want you to wait. The musician's coming and she's going to play, but but I don't want you to wait. Even one moment, don't let the the devil rob you of this opportunity. If you have a need, if you have something that you need to talk to the Lord about, slip out of your seat right now. Come forward. Maybe it's strength. Maybe there's a a, a provisional need in your life. Maybe there's, or maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Preacher, I've never been saved. But whatever it is, whatever it is, as she begins to play, would you slip out of your seat right now? Would you make your way to this altar? And would you come to the name of Jesus? to have your needs met. As she's playing right now, would you come?